Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Um, but anyway, we are in a brand new series. It's called Get a Job. Get a Job. And many of you guys would have seen that and gone to get a job. And, um, and you think that we're telling you off for not working, that it's not the case. Uh, we are wanting to talk about the book of Job. And many people don't really know much about the book of Job. In fact, I think the most popular reference is from Mission Impossible. When Ethan Hunt uh, was trying to find Job 314 and then realized that it was a book of the Bible, which is pretty amazing. Most people are like, what? There's a book of the Bible called Job? It's Job? It's, that's, that's what we call it. Um, but the book of Job is a, it's not a popular book. In fact, I think only one person in this whole church has it as her favorite book. So I told Marcy, Marcy's like, I'm so excited about this. This is my favorite book. I'm like, what? Are you like a sadist? Really? This is your favorite book? Not Ephesians, not Galatians, you know, all the wonderful books that talk about God's grace. You want a book that talks about suffering. But anyway, that's her. But how many people here have actually read through the book of Job uh, from start to finish? Yeah, got a few people. Well done. Uh, it is a book that is very misunderstood, but it's also a really important book because it gives us a perspective, especially around suffering, uh, but through that, a perspective of God that is so, so important. And without this perspective, our uh, understanding of God is incomplete. And so over the next four weeks, Beck and I will be talking about this book, talking about different themes and different things that pops up, because we want you to be able to read the whole Word of God. We don't want you just to have a Galatians Christianity, that God is just grace. We don't want you to have a, 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 a Christianity that is boxed into a small little category, but we want you to have a faith that withstands reality of what we go through in our everyday lives. And so we're going to be looking to the book of Job, and this morning I am particularly going to be focusing on probably the most readable part of the book, which is the first two chapters. And um, just to give you a bit of a setting, in the first few verses, it talks about this man, his name is Job, and it's interesting to note, Job is not an Israelite. Most of the Old Testament, and in fact most of the New Testament, focuses on the land of Israel and its people. But this book is about a man who is from the east, he is from another place, and he's called the greatest man amongst all the people of the east. And part of being the greatest man is that he is absolutely filthy rich. He's got like thousands of animals. Back then, animals means money. Just in case you didn't know. It's like that, that cat lady comes out. I'm the greatest person because I got 500 cats. No, I'm not great. You're just weird. Um, but this guy, he had lots of livestock. He had all these animals. He was a great person. And it also says that he was an upright, blameless man. He was a man who loved God. And he had 10 kids. He had seven boys and three girls. And because they were so rich, they love to party for their birthdays. And when you have 10 kids, that basically means a birthday a month, I would think, on average. And what these guys would do is that they would gather all their siblings and their friends and they would have a feast for days. Uh, we say that, oh, feast for days. These guys literally did it. They had feast for days. And what Joe would do is that after they feasted for days, he would make a sacrifice for his kids because he's worried that in the midst of their fasting, they might have cursed God and he wanted to protect them. And what 
And why that little detail is in this book is because it want, it's trying to show you that this man really, really prioritized God in his life. He wanted God to be his number one. And he was also really careful about his kids and wanting his kids to be able to live according to God's way and God's law so that they too would be blessed. And so he would make sacrifices for them. He was an extremely devout man. He was a man who God even respected. And, and, and so that is that sets the scene of who Joe is. Next, next minute, we, we see that there is a courtroom scene in heaven. And, and it is a really strange scene. It reads from verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Now, now there's a quick note. Satan could be the Satan, or it could, or it could just be one, one who has a title of Satan. Satan, Satan is, you know, the devil's advocate? It's basically him. He, he is the accuser, one, one who stands in opposition of. He's standing in opposition of something. And he's, and he's there. there. We all know, anyone, anyone who's called Satan is not nice. Yeah, yeah. I, used to, I used to like being the devil's advocate to death discussions and debates go until I realized that no one likes me. I started doing that, I started, started becoming a nice person. But Satan pops up into the heavenly courts and the Lord says, Satan, where have you come from? Where do you go? And we find out that God loves country music. And Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout, going back and forth on it. And interesting because his response is a little bit like Tom and Joe. Then the, then the Lord said, and Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is, there is no, no one on earth like him. He, he is, note this, blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have, you have blessed the work of his hand so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike anything he has, and he will surely curse you at your face. The Lord, the Lord said, very, very well then, everything is in your power, and the man himself do not lay a finger. Crazy, crazy. And the Lord, the Lord, and the Satan, and Satan went over from the presence of the Lord. What happens next is, is, is absolutely tragic. Satan, Satan, like, wipes out every, every single animal that Job, that Job owns. Thousands of animals represent all, all of his wealth. Oh God, in a matter, in a matter of moments. moments. He, he, had, he had servants, servants that were looking after all of these animals in different places. They had to be spread out because they needed, they needed that. Suffering is uncomfortable, but, but it's crazy, crazy, because it's not stop there. If 
And that is actually what happens as we look through the rest of the book because if Job has some friends and they put friends in inverted commas because of what happens and they tell him, come on Job, you need to repent of all the things that you've done because in one moment God has wiped out all of your livestock, all of your family, and now he's inflicted your health as well. That must mean that you are living in sin. That is classic retribution theology. And what the book of Job offers to us is a sense that retribution theology is too simple. Now, there are times that the things that you are going through is a product of your own choices. It absolutely happens. Yes, when you take a bat and hit your head with it, you are going to hurt. It's not because of some cosmic forces. Satan was inciting God to make you hit yourself with a bat. No, 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 we're not talking like that. That is an element of how things work, but it's not the only element in how things work. How do we know that? Because when God spoke to Satan, he says that Job is upright, blameless. In fact, you could almost think that God chose Job because he was blameless. And that messes with us a little bit more. Truth is, there are many Christians that haven't worked their way past retribution theology. And maybe you have encountered that kind of thought. Maybe you still have that kind of thought in your lifestyle. That when things don't go well, my business is not going so good, God must be angry with me. Or in the same way, when things are going good, you think that everything is all good. You think that you have been following the laws of God perfectly. None of us follow the laws of God perfectly. Newsflash, spoiler, you are going to stuff up. I'm going to stuff up. And somehow there's this interaction between my actions and what happens, and yes, that is taking place, but there seems to be something far greater at work. And we kind of get a glimpse into that through this book. Suffering is not an easy topic to talk about. Suffering is painful, but we need to understand suffering. And over the next few weeks, we'll talk about understanding suffering a bit more. But first today, I want to talk about how we are supposed to respond to suffering. Because we will face suffering in our lifetimes. Jesus says that in this world, you will face trials. You will. He doesn't say that you possibly, some of you, by some random chance, you might escape suffering. He says not all of you are going to go through suffering. And so we need to understand our response to suffering. And this is the key thing that I want to take, I want you to take away today. That when it comes to us responding to suffering, we don't have to respond out of how we feel. We don't have to respond out of our emotions. We get to choose to respond out of who we are. I want to say that again. I think I've got that on one of my slides, so you can take that in. We don't have to respond out of how we feel, but rather we get to choose to respond out of who we are. What do I mean by this is that when we face pain in our lives in any way, shape, or form, it elicits an emotional response, and so it should. That emotional response lets us know that something isn't quite 
smooth sailing right now. You need to take note because something isn't quite right. But what many of us do is that we take that emotional thing that is taking place and we react to that and we react out of that. We react out of anger. We react out of disappointment. We, re, we become defensive. We push people away. We, we allow the wrong people into our lives. We react out of our emotions. And the book of Job tells us that we don't have to act out of our emotions. In other words, you are not your emotions. You are not your emotions. More and more in today's world, our medical pharmaceutical world, as brilliant as it is in doing certain things, it also has an impact on our emotions. Does that mean that you are your drugs? Does that mean that when you eat chocolate, you are happy because chocolate releases drugs that make you happy and you're always a happy person until you run out of chocolate? Is that who you are? Is that really who you are? You are dependent on chocolate? Your personality is dependent on how much chocolate you have. No, that's not how it's supposed to work. We have emotions, but then we have something else. And where I got this clue from is that the second time Satan went to the heavenly courts, God said something really interesting. He said that, have you considered Job? Because he's an upright and blameless man. There's no one like him. And he goes on to add this detail, and he still maintains his integrity. Out of everything that God could have chosen to talk about in terms of who Job is, he chooses to highlight his integrity. I think integrity is something that's a bit lost in today's language because we just think that that means he's an honest man. In the midst of this amazing, crazy suffering, Job's honest. Really, God? <laughs> that's a bit lame. You can say he's still got courage, he's still got faith, he's still, yeah, yeah, so many things that would sound so much sexier than saying this is a man of integrity. But it's interesting because it wasn't just said once, because a few verses later, Job's wife actually says, why are you still holding on to your integrity? Integrity, why are you holding on? Why are you maintaining your integrity? I started, when I was reading that, getting ready for this week, I was thinking, why is integrity so important? Maybe we've misunderstood what integrity is. And as I was doing some research, someone helped me to understand this. Have you heard of the word integer? Yep, all you high school students. If you're past the 10-year mark of out of high school, you've probably forgotten what integers are. I was one of them, I was like, oh, what is that word? That's an interesting new word to me. <laughs> integers are simply numbers that are used in an equation. If you don't have integers, you do not have an equation, right? So if you've got one plus one equals two, the one and the one and the two are integers. And that is the same kind of word when it comes to integrity. Integrity simply is the elements of you that form who you are. Basically, you could say that integrity is the sum of who you are. When you talk about an integrous person, it's not so much that a person is, never tells a lie, but it's more that this person always acts out in harmony with who he or she is. This person is integrous. When a person is transparent with you and shows you who they are and always acts out of that place, that person is said to be an integrous person, is held together. When God was saying that Job maintained 
his integrity, he was saying that Job still knew who he was in the middle of suffering. Job still knew who he was in the midst of great suffering and in great turmoil in his emotions. That was boiling over. That was something that was churning inside of him. But he still had the clarity to go, hang on, I'm not going to act out of my pain. I'm not going to act out of my disappointment. I am not going to act out of my, my grief. I am going to act out of who I am. So much so that his wife came to him and said, really, you still want to hold on to those things? Which gives me a really interesting thought. You cannot be integrous until you have to choose integrity. Interesting, hey. Put it this way. You don't have to choose who you are until you have to choose who you are. When Job was a blessed man, when he was upright and he was blameless and his understanding perhaps at that time was that because I am following God's laws, I am getting this blessing. Continuing to follow God's laws is a simple thing. Make sense? But when all of that stuff that God had blessed him with was taken away, Job had a choice to continue to follow God or he had a choice not to. What are you choosing in the midst of your suffering? Are you choosing to act out of emotion or are you choosing to act out of who you are? So many of us have been acting out of our emotions that we think that that is who we are. I'm a cynical, negative person. No, you're not. That's your emotions talking. It's like saying your whole car is your dashboard. Emotions are your dashboard. Not your engine, not the fuel that you put in, not the beautiful car interior that you have invested into. Your dashboard is simply your emotions. I am going to choose out of everything that I am. What Job chose is something very significant for us as we enter into times of suffering, and he chose the identity of worshiper. That is something very significant because worship is actually something, worshipers, to be worshipers is something that all of us are called to live out. The Bible teaches us that you were created for God's glory. You were created to bring God praise. It even says that out of the mouth of children and babes, God has ordained praise. What does that mean? That when we were young, and when we didn't have so much suffering, so much so that we, are, we started to get pulled away into this new us, we have always been created to love God and to react out of that place of worship. Now, to be, to be clear, worship isn't just singing songs. Worship is your life. And in the midst of great suffering and pain, you can still choose to turn up at work. And you still want to give God glory through your workplace. That is also worship. You can choose to be a great parent in the midst of great pain. And that is still worship to God. But this morning, I want to talk about singing songs of worship. Because I believe that there are moments and times in our lives that we do need to get around into those kinds of places and to be able to sing songs of worship. Why? Because one thing I've learned about pain is that pain makes your world very small. Pain makes your world extremely small. Pain cuts everything else out. In the midst of the great pain 
that Job was going through, and he, you would assume his wife was as well. His wife even forgotten that God had blessed him at some stage of his life. That wasn't even a factor in the conversation. It was just a present suffering. Maybe put it another way. Have you had a person in your life that was going through a difficulty so much so that every single conversation was about the scenario? You know what I mean? You talk to this person, and this person could be, uh, you know, having a job, studying, all that kind of stuff. But whenever you talk to this person, it's about the situation. I was one of those people. When I went through a, a breakup that like, I thought was leading towards marriage, uh, I got into a place where in the midst of my pain, every single person that I spoke to was about the breakup. It was about the scenario. I didn't have anything else to talk about. And I so wanted to talk about it, to understand it, and pull it apart, or, or, or I don't know what it was about me. I started to talk to people that I didn't trust. People that I didn't really know, but my life was about my scenario. It wasn't about the call of God on my life. It wasn't about the great things that God had put in me and the great things that God wanted to do in me in the future. It was about the fact that I had I, I've been rejected. And I've gone through this breakup and every person needs to know that this is who I am. I look back at that guy and I go, you moron. Because your life is so much more than that, right? But we have this weird way when we're going through the midst of great pain that we think that that pain is all that is going on in my life and my perspective is so small. That's why Job could say to his wife, you are speaking, he didn't dishonor her, he said, you're speaking like a foolish person. Job maintained a larger perspective. Why? Because he was a worshiper. One thing I realized about worship is that when I worship, I start to see a larger picture. I start to recognize that there are things that are going on that I don't understand. And I start to magnify who God is in my life. Job didn't know anything that was happening in the heavenly courts. All he could see was his current scenario. But yet he could still trust God. Why? Because he was a worshiper. He chose to magnify the fact that God is still sovereign. How do we know that? Because he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. What is that? He's like, God is still sovereign. I don't control the scenario. I never have and I never will. God is always still bigger. I want to put this thought forward to you. That when pressure from tough situations come, it will force us to bow. It will weigh on us and it will force us to bow. If we focus on that kind of bowing, at some point it will be making us so small that we break. But you do have another choice. And the other choice is to bow to God in worship. See, when it says that Job worshipped God, that word worship is actually to bow to one who is superior. So we can choose to bow to the pressure and allow our lives to become smaller, or we can choose to bow to one who is superior and find that there's something growing inside of us. I'm going to get Mitch and Robin up.
And Mitch, if you can get that mic stand set up, that would be awesome. In just a moment, we'll be going into a time of worship. Because I think some people haven't learned how to worship in the midst of pain. Some people haven't learned that in the midst of pain, you get the choice to act out of who you truly are. And that is a worshiper. Some of you have sheathed the weapon of worship in your life. Just like a sword, you just put it aside. Why? Because you don't know how to use it. But in the midst of great pain, in the midst of great suffering, when you start to worship, something stirs up on the inside of you. It gives you a brand new perspective and it changes things fundamentally starting from the inside of yourself. I will choose to bow in worship and I will choose not to bow to my situation. My situation does not define me my position to where God defines me. I am a worshiper, and even though there is pain right now, and there's disappointment right now, even though there are things that are crushing me in my soul, and, and I'm downcast, I still have a God who is sitting on the throne, and that is how I wake up tomorrow, and that is how I continue to hold my head up. That is how I continue to get through the situation. Why? Because I've got a God who is bigger than my situation, and that is how I'm going to choose to react to my situation. Too many of us are acting out of our emotions and we are forgetting that there's something greater inside of you. We were singing songs of amazing worship just now and I love the line that says, you put treasure in jars of clay. This is this clay. I am finite. I am going to be gone one day. But guess what? When I worship, I start to see that God chose me. He still values me. He's still there for me. And do you want, I want to just put one more thought out for you. When we talked about Satan being the accuser and the opposer, we often think that in our midst of pain and the midst of our suffering, that Satan is opposing us. Read the story. Satan wasn't opposing Job. Satan didn't want a bar of Job until God said, that's my guy. Satan was actually opposing God. He was saying, God, you don't deserve any worship. The only reason those finite human beings worship you is because you bless them. But take away your blessing and you will see whether they truly worship you. Job's worship wasn't just giving him a new perspective of his life. He was actually defending God. He was actually proving something about God's character in the midst of his worship. Some of you haven't allowed God to be your victory. Some of you haven't allowed God to be your healer. Some of you haven't allowed God to be bigger than your situation. Why? Because your worship is locked up and you've proven what Satan says. Your relationship with God is all about how much you can take. Your relationship with God is all about how much He is able to give to you and is willing to give to you rather than the fact that He created you, that He already went to the cross for your sin, that He already purchased your future, that He is God and you are not. You are not your creator. You are not your master. You've got nothing. But when I worship, I see the treasure inside of me. In the midst of my brokenness, and my awareness of how small that I am, I see that an infinite God, a divine, sovereign God, still puts treasure in my soul. So this morning, we're going to sing a song. It's a bit of an item for you just to enjoy. 
and to take a moment just to let the words wash over you. But from there, we are going to worship. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lift, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.